welcome to the Experiential Education Podcast. This week, I'm talking with Brent Mayola, who is the chair of Aspen High School's Experiential Education Committee. As an experienced teacher, Brent has been sharing his love of science with students since 2005 and has taught in Washington, Colorado, Cambodia, and Portugal. Brent values using the surrounding environment to create authentic experiences which allow students to connect science into their daily lives. In his role as Chair of Experiential Education, Brent helps organise over 30 experiential education courses which run all over the United States. The programs on offer at Aspen High truly embodied the overall vision of experiential education which, as we've talked about on the podcast, covers everything from outdoor adventures to science, to art, to technology, to cultural immersions, and everything else in between. What's also unique about this program is that students select what sort of program they want to be involved with, and each program involves students across the year levels, from high school juniors right through to the senior students. Brent is also an experienced AMGA instructor, which is the American Mountain Guides Association. He's also a Leave No Trace trainer, which is such an important value to promote and instill with students when taking them out on any sort of activity. It was great to chat with Brent about a huge and amazing experiential education program he's running at Aspen High in Colorado. Thanks for joining us today, Brent. Could you give us an overview of your background and how you ended up at Aspen High and running the XED program? I am trained as a science teacher. So I went to school for teaching science, mostly environmental science. And kind of when I wasn't in school, I was either outside playing or guiding. So my formative guiding training was mostly around whitewater rafting. And so with those skills and interest from the outside world, as well as the more academic world, I found this job in Aspen when I was young. I think I was 26 when I started there. That was in 2006. And it seemed like the perfect fit for me. And then this experiential ed program that they had been running since like the mid 60s was just something I had to be a part of. As an educator, using this program to basically grab kids' attention and get them excited about learning. It really is an exciting program because there is something for everyone in this from outdoor ed to arts and culture to civil rights to back to mountain biking to water activities what are the different sorts of program options that you run and how do students sign up to one of these yeah like you said there's a diverse mix the idea is that teachers are creating these courses so that students can explore either interests they have or things they might be interested in so This last year, we had over 30 different courses. Some go to inner city Mississippi, where others go to, you know, deep backcountry, what you might call the outback, like in Utah or Colorado. And all the courses are designed around four pillars. Those four pillars kind of help shape the foundation to any course a student might be on while also allowing the uniqueness of the course to enhance that student's learning and that particular skill. What are the four pillars that underpin all of these different courses? They are like a a physical component. 
And so some sort of like just physical activity, obviously some are more demanding than others, right? If you're doing theater workshops, you know, you're, you're still up on the stage all day. You're running through rehearsals and routines and, you know, working on theatrical skills, which, you know, is demanding. But then there's other kinds of physicality, like maybe you're canoeing on a river for 20 miles a day. Uh, or you're backpacking, or you are walking, say, in an urban center, you know, going from museum to cultural site. And, you know, some of the most exhausting days I've had have been in a city, you know, walking around. <laughs> uh, so that's the physical part. There's the emo- emotional component, and different courses handle these pillars differently. So for me, the emotional component is really kind of just trying to be quiet at times and connect with yourself and connect with others on the course and just kind of listen listen to your your emotions and your heart and how these experiences are impacting you. There's the social component, which is huge. We do these courses at the second week of school. So students have the ability to just instantly create connections with other students. You know, they don't know necessarily the people who will be on their course when they sign up. So it's a real mix of grade levels. Freshmen are, what we'd say a freshman or first year high school student can make connections with a senior, that last year student. How do you find that impacts on the culture of the school? Because that's quite unique. Generally, most outdoor or experiential programs are done in year groups, but how do you find mixing those year groups? I think it's awesome. The The juniors and the seniors, they really take on a leadership role. And, you know, we try to develop their leadership skills before we even go on the course. And we tell those students like, hey, you know, how, how you are in this course will teach these younger classmen how to be down the road. And if you are there to be supportive and helpful and encouraging, you know, they're going to remember that and do the same thing when they're in that position uh, a few years later. And, you know, the upperclassmen have more experience, you know, on courses like this. And so they can bring that confidence, that skill set to help the younger crowd. Like I said, the, the younger kids, they look up to those older kids a lot. And, you know, it's just fun to watch them kind of interact and and just build these bonds second week of school. That's a powerful start to a year. Definitely. And then that last component is the academic component, so the school part. And so like a a course I used to run was uh, like an archaeology course in the Utah backcountry dealing with uh, the Anasazi culture that used to live out there, you know, over a thousand years ago. And so we would do like a 40-mile backpacking loop and each day as we wander through the desert, you know, we'd come upon cultural sites, either cliff dwellings or pottery or, you know, pictographs. And so the students would be, you know, journaling about these and sketching them. And then we'd be reading about the culture either before and during, you know, our excursion out there. How do you find that then translates into the academic or the long-term academic program and understanding of diversity in other cultures yeah you know I, I think by like that course for example but living out there for a week we'd come upon these little structures called granaries and there'd be you know thousand year old corn on the cobs you know in these granaries and so you'd have the kids like sit down and, and write about and imagine like living out here right not just like visiting and kind of taking a tour for a week but really living out here and making the most of it and so these experiences enable them to 
you know, have these lived moments in the culture or, you know, in a certain setting that are more impactful than anything you could do in the classroom. They're, they're never going to remember some chemistry test I give them, but they're always going to remember like that one cliff house we found around this corner we were backpacking. Yeah, they're very powerful moments that stay with people for forever. Just on a more mundane side of things, before we dive into a few other questions that I have about the program itself and some of the experiences, but where do you start planning for such a huge program operation? Because it literally stretches from one side of the country to the other and the activities are so diverse. What's your starting point? Yeah, the starting point is literally after we get back from that that experiential ed week, we start kind of debriefing what went well, what didn't go well, and then we hit the ground running with planning the next year. Uh, so it takes a committee of teachers. Uh, there's about eight of us from in mixed disciplines in the school. We have an awesome administrator team that's just super supportive. Yeah, this this committee is constantly kind of bouncing ideas off of staff to get staff input. Um, because at, at the heart of it, it is the staff that are creating these courses that you know are, are making these challenges and these educational experiences for our students. So the committee kind of helps keep things organized and tidy. And then the staff is really the ones kind of dealing with the course components. And do they do the same sort of program each year or do you guys tag team sort of in and out and, and do maybe once every two years or as or someone have their course and they love running that? Yeah, some, some teachers are really attached to their course and they just have it dialed and they could almost run it in their sleep. Whereas other teachers um, will, you know, do one course for a few years and then they'll try something else. You know, the, the freedom to really try anything is there and supported by our school administration. And so you don't have to just stay kind of stuck in a rut. You know, it kind of in, encourages the lifelong learner and all of us to, um, to get out and do something new. And some of my favorite courses are the ones that I do for the very first year, you know, cause the kids are always looking up to you and like, well, what do we do now? Or how does this work? And I'm like, I have no idea. I've never done this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all in the same boat. So um, it, it makes kind of that, that learning experience leveled, you know, so there's no, there's no power structure. Like I'm the teacher, I know everything. You know, it's like, no, we're all in this together. We're problem solving together. You know, we're taking risks together. Um, and, and that's at the, I'd say at the core, at the heart of XED. That's a really interesting position to be in because many teachers wouldn't feel comfortable with not knowing more than students. And I think that's a really powerful relationship building tool and a really good thing that you're all learning together. How do students react to that? Say you've got a new student to the school or a new student to the high school, and then that's their first experience. It's like, well, I don't know what's happening next. I, it's mixed. Some students are, are okay with it. And like you said, there's this relationship and there's this trust building through kind of this shared uncertainty. Other students are pretty uncomfortable by it. They, they don't like that the adult figure is is just not knowing every answer. You know, I, I think kids are pretty used to that, always being told what to do, how to do it, you know, why they're doing it. 
And so, yeah, some kids don't like it at all. I can imagine it, it puts them way outside their comfort zone and would be quite challenging for them. Yes, definitely. Again, that's one of the goals of XED is to kind of put kids in uncomfortable situation, not, you know, safety wise, but just like, yeah, out of their comfort zone, something they've never done before. They have to be vulnerable and take some risks. And all of those kind of are tying back to those emotional components or those social components. Just looking at the various range of courses you offer, there there's some that are just phenomenal and they would push me way outside my comfort zone as well. Could you describe for our listeners, especially in Australia, where we don't really have high mountains, we have little bumps and our highest peak's 2,227 metres. I'm not sure how many feet that is. I think you divide it by three at a guess. Nobody hold me to that, but exploring the Tetons is one of your hiking experiences. Could you give us an idea of what the size and scale of the American Rockies is? Yeah, I'm not sure the Grand Teton's elevation. Let's see here really quick. Yeah, they're in like 13,000 foot range or, you know, 4,100 meter range. So the Tetons are massive and especially that range is so dramatic in that you kind of have this, this Western plain, you know, very flat. And then all of a sudden this mountain range just like screams out of the ground to the sky. And that area is so diverse with the national park there that there's buffalo, there's moose, there's coyotes, there's wolves, there's grizzly bears potentially. And this, the students are out there backpacking and, and that trip in particular does a, a pretty neat experience with solo time. So students are often out for you know a few hours at a time in the backcountry by themselves, just sitting and, and journaling and reading and just being by themselves. That's a really powerful experience, especially in this day and age with connectivity of students to not reach out to somebody or, you know, or check some app the second you're bored. You know, they really kind of have to just deal with whatever starts to come into their head. And the solitude of the wilderness is, you know, one of the only places that can truly provide a setting like that. Yeah, because it's so hard to switch off from modern life for students and for, for even adults. It's very hard to switch off, and that would be a really great way to do that. How do you build in reflective practices to your wide range of programs? So everything from drama to cultural immersions to outdoor ed, that's fantastic with the solo. What other parts do you build reflective practice into? Every course does it differently, but most of the teachers have a, a daily reflective practice. Oftentimes it's, it's individual as well as with the group. So I'll often do like a, a morning kind of just get together, talk about the day, you know, what, what could we learn from the day before that could be helpful for this next day. There's times where there might just be an, an opportunity to sit and write and you know sometimes I'll have the students come up with writing prompts or sometimes if I'm just feeling more inspired I'll give them a prompt to write about or they can just write freely. In the evenings I'll typically do kind of like what was a high what was a low of the day. Sometimes I'll write down everyone's name in a hat and in the morning I'll have students as well as whatever teachers on the trip with me will draw a name and you, whoever's name you draw, you kind of study them that day and you observe like how they help people 
where did you see them, you know, maybe be, be brave or vulnerable or, you know, share something powerful. So again, you're just trying to, to open the door for students to kind of see just how and where they are and what they're doing is kind of enhancing their learning and understanding of the goal of whatever course they're on. These are really transferable skills back to the classroom and back to school life in general. How do you do you instill that in students as part of this program that they can and should reflect on different things in their lives? We also at Aspen High School have a, a social emotional curriculum. And so the experiences of our ex ed week tie in really easy to that, as well as kind of like this experiential learning cycle. And so we ask kids to to stop and think and and observe, you know, why are they maybe feeling so, you know, maybe elevated or, you know, kind of stressed at a certain time? And what were they doing to get to that point? What tools can they use to kind of bring them back down to just a more level, healthy feeling? And so, yeah, definitely they are transferable skills to an academic setting, to the sports they might be playing, to relationships they might have at home as well that's so vital in modern education is to be able to transfer those skills to so many other parts of their lives. Adventure forms a big part of what you do. What are some of the best programs you love to run and why? Yeah, for me, I, I find the biggest adventure in the, in the backcountry courses we run. The very first ex-ed I did, my first year at Aspen, you know, I was 20, 20-some, years old, it was, we took out 20 kids on a week-long rafting trip. And it was the adults, you know, in the group was myself and another teacher. Um, and so, you know, I fortunately had all these rafting skills, so I knew how to do that, but I didn't know how to manage 20 kids out there. And so the component of the wilderness, as well as just new teacher, you know, was, was really exciting for me. And so that really set the stage for the kinds of courses I wanted to lead in the future. So I've focused primarily on just backcountry foot travel. So backpacking courses where, you know, you carry everything you need for, you know, five days on your back and you go kind of deep wilderness, far away from any civilization, no cell service, you know, definitely no internet or anything like that. Because I think it's, it's those, uh, the moments of solitude and the wilderness setting that just creates uh you know, a feeling you can't get anywhere else. And so when you combine that with my science, like alpine ecology, uh, environmental science, uh, it just makes the perfect fit. Probably the most adventurous course I've run is a backpacking course in Utah. I mentioned earlier about the Anasazi culture. This is, you know, this place is really in the middle of nowhere. From a risk management standpoint, it's pretty high risk. And that if anything were to happen, you know, it, it's going to be maybe a full day before medical attention could get to you. And so that puts a, a lot of responsibility on me as a course leader, but it also creates, I'd say, kind of this buzz within our group and that like, you know, this is expedition mentality and that we can't be screwing around and we have to take it pretty serious for the, the setting we're in. So those kind of courses I find just really exciting and life-giving and, and changing uh, for students as, as well as myself. I guess also on that, from a risk management point of view, you'd be fairly careful with the vetting of the students that you'd have on that so that you can minimise the risk of 
students doing something silly, which would require a medical evac, which could cost you a day or more. For sure. You know, I, I preview, you know, with maps and with Google Earth, oftentimes our route. So we kind of have an idea of where we're going and, you know, the, the type of country we'll be traveling in. And yeah, I mean, I definitely want us to have fun and, you know, be goofy as teenagers and stuff like that. But when it comes to like making choices of like, oh, should I try to jump over this thing or not? Or, you know, climb up this, you know, rock face. I, I try to be very mindful of, you know, the consequences of just a, a dumb kind of silly mistake. You know, that really you kind of have to check yourself before you, you know, act on something. And that's really challenging for teenagers. <laughs> Oh, it is. That can cause all sorts of challenges and problems. And I know some of my most interesting evacuations have happened very close to civilization and completely unrelated to the activity that we were doing. But 15-year-old boys just decide to do something dumb and, wow, it turns into a drama very quickly. So <laughs> I know what you mean there. What are some other challenging moments that that you've seen that have had a really profound positive outcome for students? Yeah, um, on, on my courses, because they are pretty physical, there's a lot of, I'd say, doubt at times. And, you know, when a student is maybe climbing up a mountain pass that's over 3,000 meters, 4,000 meters, carrying a 40 to 50 pound pack, Many students are like, I don't know if I can get up this. Or another challenging component is that social component where maybe they're on this course, there's nine other kids with them, and they don't really know anybody. So there's kind of that, like, some groups for the first day or two have had this really weird, like, awkwardness to them. You know, no one really knows each other, and they haven't had a, a chance to create experiences together. And then you see them by the last night, you know, around the campfire, they're all like joking and having so much fun together. Like they've known each other for years. Uh, so I, I'd say that's one of the biggest successes is just watching these kids from different cliques and social groups come together and create their own little tribe because they've had the shared experience together. They've had really challenging moments together. They had to work together as a team to, to ultimately succeed. That's a very positive outcome from it, and especially with that mixed year group arrangement, so that you do have those years sort of engaging and chatting and getting to know each other in such a unique and powerful way. Yeah, it's just so powerful. And, you know, one thing I love to do as a course leader is just not get in their way. You know, so much, so many times, as I'd say, as an adult or as an instructor, you know, we get in the way of kids learning and doing things sometimes. And if we just kind of take a step back and trust that they can do things on their own, and you're kind of that guide when you when they need you, they can do really powerful things and they're they're capable of a lot. If we can kind of just give them the space and, and let them make mistakes and screw up and but ultimately, you know, keep everyone safe at the same time. And I think that's a really powerful message from an educational point of view is that being there just as the safety guide can be so powerful that you let the kids make the decisions on a whole range of things throughout the program and you're there to step in if something is like looking as it might be going pear-shaped or if you really need to step in from a safety point of view but otherwise 
let them try it, let them fail, let them learn from that. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, for sure. On, on one backpacking course in particular, you know, every day I, I pair students who are in charge of, of the map. They're kind of like the trail leader of the day and they're in charge of navigation, you know, checking in with the groups on when they need a rest or eat lunch or something like that. I remember this one group in particular just totally took this wrong side canyon when we we're in the desert. And I let them walk up at about a mile or so before I said, you know, are you sure, you know, we're supposed to be up here? And, and so, yeah, it, it wasn't like the biggest mistake, but it, it was definitely memorable because they all kind of looked at each other and were like, oh man, we have to like go back down this and turn around. And we thought we were getting close, but we're not. Yeah. It's interesting to see just how they react to um, the setbacks like that. And and again, they're they're not going to learn and problem solve if you know you're correcting them the second they start to err. Exactly, and they would have learned more from that moment in which you stood back and let them make that mistake, and then they had to unwind that mistake themselves, rather than you stepping in and saying, "Hey, no, we're going this way," because nobody learns anything from that. You and I know how to navigate. Well, I'd probably be a little bit lost in, in the terrain that you're working in. But generally speaking, we know as leaders and guides, we can navigate. But the kids don't get that same sort of response and they'll remember that for the rest of their lives. Yeah, definitely. So where do you see experiential education in the overall education of a student today? At our school, it's been going on some iteration of it since the 60s. And so my hope is that we can just keep it going. It's, it's such a, a cultural foundation to our school that starts in kindergarten. So the students, as they move through the elementary level, the middle level, the high school level, you know, they're constantly every year building tools in their toolkit. And I want to ensure that kids down the road, that my son, I have a three-year-old son, that he can do the same thing. It creates this culture in town where, you know, some of our parents have gone through our school system and, and they did, you know, we have a very memorable eighth grade outdoor ed and it's kind of, kind of like a rite of passage in our, in our district. And they can tell you everything about their eighth grade outdoor ed. You know, it's something they don't forget or about their ex-ed courses. And if those are the positive memories we can create about school that, you know, really get kids curious to explore their interests and be confident that they can step into something that's unfamiliar and, you know, ultimately work to be successful. That's the type of education I want to be teaching. Like you said before, nobody remembers a science lesson. And I don't remember any science lessons from school, but you remember all of those very powerful moments and you remember how you felt in a moment as well. Yeah, with the accessibility of information now, there's really no reason from a content standpoint, I would say you need a school, honestly. But why you need schools is to learn together in a community, to process and unpack information and, and how to be creative with it. You know, those, those things are much harder to do by yourself. So, you know, the experiential education helps students, you know, with skills and working together and challenges, learning from mistakes. And they learn so much from those sort of mistakes that they make as well. You mentioned the eighth grade program as a rite of passage. Tell us about the eighth grade program. I'm curious about this. I'm sure our listeners are too. Yeah, the eighth grade program is amazing. So, you know, we live in this little mountain town, Marble. 
And about 25 miles to the west of us is another little mountain town called Marble. And so students will uh, hike from Aspen and spend four days in the backcountry um, as they move to this little town called Marble. They backpack through our local mountains and drainages and camp at these high alpine lakes. But kind of the pinnacle of the experience is a 24-hour solo. And so students are, are placed in the woods and they're given a water bottle and a sleeping bag and a plastic tarp and some rope. And they have to build their own shelter and they have to stay by themselves for over 24 hours in the woods. And, you know, the instructors are close by, they're within earshot, but no student can see another student and they're not allowed to walk around. They have to stay, you know, at their little camp. And so this is a powerful time and a scary time for just about anybody. But, you know, a 13 year old kid in the Colorado backcountry by themselves, it's, uh, it's pretty impactful, pretty powerful. And kind of making it through that solo is like, I would say, stepping out of this young elementary childhood and into almost your adulthood. Like, you know, you've spent a whole day and night in the woods, and now you're, you're moving into eighth grade, you're getting ready for high school. So it kind of sets the stage for students as, as they leave younger middle years and into their more adult years. At the end of that, do you do sort of a celebration after they come back in over the, after the solo or how do you wrap up the program? Yeah, there's definitely the, the morning after you go get them. You know, no one can talk until everyone is, is back together in our little base camp. And then everyone gets to share their experiences, what they liked about it, what was challenging about it. And then, you know, as we get them out of the mountains into this little town called Marble, they then stay another few days in Marble at this base camp and do all these team building activities together. And so it's not kind of like this one experience that's just had and then, you know, you move on. From that, these little base camp crews are again then living a few more days and working together in this Marble base camp, just enhancing the relationships and the experiences that they've had the last few days in the mountains. That sounds really good and a wonderful way to then introduce them into high school. I think that's a fantastic transition. Yeah, and again, it's, I think it's part of that confidence building, that problem solving, that you're fearful of either time in the, the woods at night by yourself or the giant mountain pass you have to hike over. But yeah, we're, we're trying to be really conscious and purposeful in the experiences that we provide for these kids so that they can learn as much as possible from them and, and take those skills, you know, wherever they go in life. It sounds like you have a fantastic job and a fantastic program. Thank you so much for sharing this with us today, Brent. It's been a really fascinating insight into some really cool programs you're running. Great. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. That was Brent Mayola from Aspen High in Colorado. For more information on the great XED program at Aspen High School, check out the links in the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate us and leave a nice review. It helps others to find the podcast and helps me to review and improve the show as well. If you'd like to get in touch or want to let us know about an experiential education program you're running, please drop us a line through the website. Join us next week as we explore more great stories and ideas for experiential education.